What is the No Spin News all about? You know that this is a fact-based analysis news program. You know that. We avoid speculation. We don't do conspiracies here. We don't do party politics here. We're not nonpartisan. That's wrong. Not that. Okay, we are advocates for a stronger America and a more just society. We don't believe in communism. We don't believe in socialism. We don't believe in nihilism. We don't believe in the progressive woke culture. We think it is un-American. We don't support that. So you should know what we are. And it would then crystallize what we do. Listen to the No Spin News. Subscribe to Bill O'Reilly's podcast feed wherever podcasts are available. Hey, Slater Crusaders, America's the greatest country in the world. Thank you for being here to our, our Christmas special. Merry Christmas. How are we doing? I mean that. Uh, how are you doing right now, first of all? And how are we as a country doing? Let's just do a quick, quick assessment, quick audit of things. How do you think this next year is going to go for our country? Of everyone who answered that question right now, I, th I think very few people said, things in America are great. Just splendid. Unless it was like sarcastic. Like I couldn't even imitate people saying it's great without being unintentionally sarcastic. But like, how many people are saying things are great and they're gonna get better? They're gonna get better. Not many, and I don't wanna be a downer. That's our Christmas special. Uh, but that's the truth, right? And we have to address this. This is why we started uh, our podcast. It's called Politics by Faith. The idea is I am too anxious about the news. I get too anxious, everyone I talk to is anxious. All my friends, my wife, everyone. We're very worried about the future. Not just the economy, although yes, but just the state of things. And I don't wanna feel like that anymore. So the podcast, we tell the story that is in the news, that's bringing anxiety, and then we share some history to give us perspective, and then a Bible story or two to give us the truth. And then in the end, the anxiety goes away, and you feel better, ready to take on the next day. Here's where we are right now. Because you're not alone if you answered, not so great, Slater. There's a survey, this was done in the beginning of 2002, or end of 2021. Did I say 2002? The end of 2021. Uh, this was asked about 2022. 55% of people were extremely worried about 2022, and 29% were very worried. So that's 85% of people were very or extremely worried, or 84% were very or extremely worried about 2022, 85%. I don't see why people's hope would change much for 2023. This is a newer poll, Pew poll. Uh, the question was, the United States in the next 30 years, 60% of Americans said America will be less important in the world in 30 years from today, 60%. And many of those 60% uh, of Americans think that this is great news. A lot of Americans want us less. They want us less. They want America to be in decline so that we can be more citizens of the world. We deserve what's coming for us because we're a force for bad. Most people truly believe that. 
Now what they don't realize is, because people don't think one or certainly not two steps ahead, is that when we don't lead, someone else will. And it's not gonna be Denmark. It's gonna be China or someone else you don't want leading. And a lot of people say, oh, you know, we need to be more like Europe. They don't really think that. If England were a US state, it would be the second poorest state behind Alabama, just ahead of Mississippi. That's England. Is this what we want in America? The Pew poll also asked uh, if you're worried about the country's political leaders are not up to the challenge. And 48% of Americans were very worried that our political leaders are not up to the challenge. And of course they're not. What political leader do you think could fix the cultural problems in America? Mitch McConnell. But like, it's, it's not even fair. I don't even think they should be asked to do that. We put way too much hope into our politicians. Way too, we put too much hope in our politicians to fix political problems. They can't even do that. How's the border going? You know, the Republicans are gonna vote for this massive omnibus spending bill. What the heck, guys? What, what is even the point of the Republican Party? So they, they can't even fix political things. We're certainly not gonna ask our politicians to fix the cultural problems in America, and that's the real problem. We could go on about the problems in America. Uh, let me just give you one more. There are seven million prime age men, that's 25 to 54, seven million in the United States who are not working. Now this is different than in the Great Depression. Back in the Great Depression, if you were a man who's not working, it was because there was no job to work and you were desperately looking for one. Today, there's tons of jobs available, but men are not taking them. So what are they doing? That's the question. Again, first order thinking is, well, here's the fact that they're not working. Very few people say, well, what are they doing? Are they volunteering? Are they taking care of aging parents? Are they working in the church in some volunteer capacity? Are they out like a, like a, uh, on a missions trip? <laughs> no. They're playing Call of Duty stoned. They're playing Call of Duty stoned. Wall Street Journal talked to an economist, Nicholas Eberstadt, who said for every prime age guy, again, 25 to 54 who's unemployed, there are over four who are neither working nor looking for work. So every, again, every prime age person who's unemployed, there's four more who aren't even looking for work. This is terrible for families because who wants a guy like this to be leading a family? Who wants to be married to a person like this? Uh, check out this quote here. This is from The uh, Economist. These labor force dropouts basically don't do civil society. They don't do worship, they don't do charity, they don't do volunteering work, even though they've got, you'd think, almost nothing on their hands to do. They don't do much help around the house with other people or housework. They don't get out of the house very much, they say. This, this is based on surveys of these people. What they say they do is watch screens. Now, surveys don't tell us what screens they're watching or what's on them exactly, but they report clocking in about 2,000 hours a year in front of screens, as if this was their full-time job. That's six hours a day, 365 days a year. And other information says about half of these guys report using some sort of pain medication every day. So it's not just playing Call of Duty, it's playing Call of Duty stoned. And needless to say, this is not exactly the way to bulk up the skills that you're gonna need to get back into the workforce. It's unfortunately much more likely to be the entire pathway to now for all, uh, all, for all too familiar depths of despair that we're coping with in the United States. 2,000 hours a year, that's six hours a day. Just men not working, young men not working. You know, Adam and Eve, they worked in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 2.15, work is a part of God's original design 
for humanity. And here we are with more prosperity than we've ever had in human history, and people are not working. That's not right. Proverbs 13, 4 says, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. And I love that proverb so much. Shout out to our producer. I've never even heard this proverb before. My producer shared it with me before the show. As I love the way this one deals, because there's a lot of proverbs that deal with the sluggard, but they're often about uh, like earthly outcomes. Uh, this is the soul of the sluggard gets nothing. Now, Slater, this is depressing. I thought this was the Christmas episode. <laughs> yeah, we need to come to terms with it. Most people live in ignorance and they stay there. That's not a good place to be. I love this country too much. Let's identify it. Let's lament it. Let's lament the brokenness of it like we do on our podcast. But then we need to rise above it. Got to rise above it. And we can do it because there's nothing new under the sun. Ecclesiastes 1.9. You got to hit rock bottom in order to get redemption. We've been here before. There's an amazing section of scripture in Ezekiel 16. You got to read the whole thing. It's fantastic. But uh, Ezekiel 16, starting at 49, says, This was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her sisters had pride. These were sinful cities. Pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, and did not aid the poor and needy. How about that? Isn't that us right now? Pride, prosperity, laziness. Mm. That's the unemployed. That's the unemployed and not even looking for it. That's the 30-year-old man who's unemployed and not even, not even looking. <laughs> I'm too good for that low-paying job. That's beneath me. That's pride. And why work? I'm fine right here. I got plenty of, plenty of food. I got welfare coming in. I got plenty of porn. I got plenty of video games. That's the prosperous ease. I can simulate the positive emotions of finding a wife and building something of value with porn and video games. It's certainly not the real thing, but it's way easier. And it's just real feeling enough. Now, there's a lot of people out there with solutions to fix these problems. We've identified the problem. Have we done a fair enough job doing that on this Christmas special? I hope so. And there's a lot of people with solutions. A lot of self-help books, they don't work. You can girl wash your face all day long. It won't work. Uh, just got to work harder. Yeah. You need this life hack to be happy. Uh, there's plenty of people with political solutions. You have people with economic solutions. Invest your money here. Make more money this way. Then you'll be happy. There's people who say drugs are the solution. California is debating a new law that would legalize uh, psychedelics, magic mushrooms. This is our answer. This is great. <laughs> Now let's have everyone not only uh, drunk and stoned, but now tripping out. Super. Thanks for throwing that into the mix. My calling, my purpose, is to suggest that there is a spiritual longing in each of us and in all of us as a nation. And to suggest that people have been in our same shoes before and there is a way out. No one ever talks about the soul. No one talks about the soul. But that, going back to that uh, psychedelic mushrooms in California, it's, uh, it's, oh, people have anxiety and depression or whatever, and, and it's in the brain, and we need to have these uh, mushrooms in your brain to fix your brain. You're like, man, what about your soul? There's good news, though. And I'm, right now I'm speaking to me 10 years ago. Look for the ancient paths. That's a Jeremiah. Look at the ancient paths. If what we're doing, if what you're doing is not working, and it's not, 
Look to the ancient paths. Learn from the people who came before us. What used to work? What worked before we started to stray? One of the things that got me uh, looking towards Christianity in the first place, there were a couple different external influences, but one of them was our founding fathers. I was a history guy, atheist history guy, and I was looking at our founding fathers, and I was like, man, they think a certain way. They have a worldview. Our founders saw America as the second great exodus. And I didn't know anything about the Bible. I didn't know what the exodus was. I didn't know there was a first exodus. So what's the second exodus? I don't even know the first. Oh, it's a book of the Bible called Exodus? What happened there? Ben Franklin wanted this to be our national seal. That's Moses. God parting the Red Sea, overcoming Pharaoh. What's that story about? Interesting, right? What did our founder, what did Ben Franklin know about the Bible and about God and about human nature? That he wanted that to be our seal. What did he know? What have I forgotten? What have the American people forgotten? My whole life, I was a priester. We went to church on Christmas and Easter growing up. Don't know why, but we did. You should go to church more than that. You should go every Sunday. But I'm grateful for this pull inside of people, even the priesters, who think, you know, maybe I should go to church, at least on Christmas and Easter. And I hope your church is full of priesters. And I hope if you're a priester, that you go too. Because maybe the church will be full of people who will hear the gospel, who will hear the good news that they've been so desperately looking for. And that good news may come at church on Sunday. It might come right now with our wonderful guests that we have today to share the good news that we all need to hear for either the first time or to be reminded of every day. And what better opportunity to do that than Christmas? I'm grateful you're here. Spread the word. This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. Hey, this is Vivek Ramaswamy. The media has systematically lied to you. The Hunter Biden laptop story, the origin of COVID-19, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, or how your money's being spent in Ukraine. Enough already with the lies. No more lies, hard truths only. That's what the Truth Podcast is all about. It's not standard conservative talking points. If you want that, go somewhere else. But if you want the hard truth delivered to you in a way that challenges you and will challenge me intellectually, you're not going to find anything like this on the internet. Subscribe to The Truth Podcast today on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Hey, Study Crusaders, welcome back to our Christmas special. We just spent the opening there. I hope it wasn't too much of a downer talking about the problems that we have in this country. But this is good. We have to identify this. We have to lean into it. We have to lament it. We got to hit rock bottom before we can get out. Maybe in a way we have to figure out that every other solution isn't working. So hopefully we can get back to the ancient paths and figure out the ways that have worked in the past. And that's what my podcast is all about, Politics by Faith. And that's what we're doing here. And that's what we're going to do with Laban Duke, the director of the Blake Center for Faith and Freedom at wonderful Hillsdale College. Mr. Duke, how are you, sir? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. Grateful you're here. We all know, we've all read articles, we've all seen the numbers about the decline of Christianity in America. Uh, what do you make of that? What's your assessment of that from your perspective, especially working at a university? Well, certainly, you know, having moved to Connecticut from, you know, the Midwest, it's it's very notable. You know, there's the Barna research that came out, you know, years back that discussed, you know, uh, you know, this area of the country being one of the darkest, you know, in the entire nation and indeed, you know, perhaps even in the entire world. There's, there is something to that. I mean, living here with my family, it, it's notable. Uh, the 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 ways of Christianity are not the default in this region of the country, and I would mm. I would go so far to say that the articles that are, are that are out there that discuss you know the, the faltering of Christianity in this nation that there is some there is some credence to that. Um, I would say that in the founders' intention, you know, Jefferson and others had no intention when they coined the phrase separation of church and state had no concept. Of, of a country that was devoid of its Christian mores. Um, you know, you could think of the idea of separation of church and state much like a one-way check valve. The intent was to keep the government from specifying how we should worship. Uh, the, the intent was never that people themselves would prevent, you know, would, would stay out of, you know, would stay out of church and betray the founding of this country um, in a, a moral society in a Judeo-Christian background, so uh, I, I'd have to say it's it's disconcerting, but there is there is a hope side to this. At least at Hillsdale College, we you know are firm in our conviction that men generally humankind was created with the ability to know the truth, and that mm. that that's a reason for hope. And beyond being able to know the truth, we are created with the ability to share the truth. And if those two things are true, then there is hope for this country and indeed the world. Yeah, amen. Uh, what's fascinating isn't to me so much that we have lost those moorings, those Judeo-Christian moorings. I think that's to be expected uh, over time. Uh, you see it throughout the Bible over and over. Um, it's the speed. It's, it's the speed of this cultural shift and uh, like something happened as recent as the, the early 2000s. I mean, and I'm sure you and, and we can all go through the, the philosophical, like a de-evolution going back to like Rousseau, if not earlier, right? And like to kind of deconstruct it together. But something happened just even more recent than that. Do you have any idea what cultural thing happened in the 2000s that led us to where we are today? Well, you know, there, you know, speed is certainly something that you said there. I, you know, I point to early Americas where you have groups like, you know, you have you have the Pilgrims, for example, coming over to the New World, and they have this concept of a city on a hill, 
And within just a couple generations, it's it becomes necessary then to have a first grade awakening. You know, uh, the Blake Center sits just five minutes away from Enfield, Connecticut, where Jonathan Edwards preached, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. That sermon is necessary because people had quickly, within just a few generations, uh, lost sight of, of the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ to a world, you know, completely and utterly lost in sin. Um, so these things can move very quickly, and it has moved incredibly yeah, right. uh, fast. You know, if I was to try to point to just, you know, one or two things, I think, I, you know, I, we could certainly come up with examples. But I think overall, if you look at the nation as a whole, I think one of the most concerning things is this idea that our, um, you know, our wealth, our, um, you know, the, the country's capabilities on the world stage being sort of a superpower in that right has uh, given some comfort, you know, and, and care, you know, some, some comfort to the general populace that would have them think that we really don't need a God. Thank you very much. You know, we understand that, that we have this sin problem. You know, that's, that's your view. That's your opinion. But you know what? We're doing quite well on our own. Thanks very much. And we prefer not to, not to really have our, uh, have our problems out in the open. I think that, that general sense that we don't need God because we, we have, you know, both, you know, fiscal and, you know, we have, we have comfort, you know, um, I think that I think that leads us yeah. astray into thinking that we don't it's, we don't need a savior. I think that's one of the most fascinating things that I'm continuing to study is how prosperity leads to uh, this this uh, secularization, or uh, as you said, just we don't need God, we don't need you. You can just be our cosmic butler whenever we need to call on you for something I want. Uh, and prosperity is the cause of that. That's so fascinating. I'm so grateful you brought up Jonathan Edwards. That's the final sign I need uh, that this Christmas break I want to read uh, more about him and about that great awakening that was in America, because I believe we need another one here. What can you tell me about him, that time, uh, what awakenings have looked like, why they were needed? Give me some insight here, because yeah. that's where we're at. Because every everything I, we talked in the first segment about California, they're thinking about legalizing psychedelics and magic mushrooms, and, and the, the whole pitch from it is, oh, it's, it's medicinal, just like medicinal marijuana was originally pitched, right? And people have anxiety and depression and all these uh, problems that we need to solve with some, some magic mushrooms. It's natural, what's the big deal? It's like, oh man, you guys aren't looking at the soul. And that's what we need to get to. Can you speak to that? Yeah. Well, I think a couple of things stand out in Jonathan Edwards' life, both his, you know, both his capability to write, which was absolutely incredible. I mean, when you think about it, this is a guy that, you know, in the history of Christianity, I guess you could say one of the, one of the great um, sadnesses is that Jonathan Edwards didn't have more paper. I mean, the guy was having to write some of his stuff on onion paper, which if you don't know what this is, you I mean, you'll have to join us this summer because we're going to go to the Beinecke Library and look at some of the originals. And it's just, it's just incredible that he was able to write so prolifically without so much as an extra strip of paper to do it on. But there is something really telling about the life of Jonathan Edwards. It's more than what he said. It's how he went about his ministry that I think speaks to us today. It's this concept of being willing to put in the, the, the sweat equity over a long period of time. So the first great awakening is, is what we know Edwards for having started. But uh, few people realize that in the timing of the thing, it took Edwards, you know, at least a decade and a half of consistent ministry week in and week out to yield, uh, you know, a, a revival that, that made an impact on this country. 
And for those who are listening, who, you know, they're, they're struggling with, you know, what do I do? How do I make, how do I make a difference? Part of the answer from Edward's life is you have to be consistent and you have to overcome over a longer period of time. And, you know, just, just a, just a once and done, a silver bullet. It's just not how these things actually end up working very often. More often than not, it's, it's faithful people willing to put in the work over a long period of time that makes the difference. And that, that will honestly be the the turning of the tide in this country. You know, if we want to see things different in America, we've got to be uh, in it for the long game and not the short one. Uh, I love that encouragement. I'd really like to wrap it up by this weekend, but I guess, uh, I guess it'll take longer. Laban Duke, director of the Blake Center for Faith and Freedom at the wonderful Hillsdale College. Mr. Duke, great to talk to you, sir. Same here. Thanks for having me. Keep up the wonderful work. Pass it on. I would talk with one of our favorite pastors, Pastor uh, Hans Fien. Uh, we'll get a little more in the Bible coming up next. Mike Slater, spread the word. Nice Slater Crusaders. Welcome back to our Christmas spectacular episode. Uh, let's get in the Bible. Let's get in the Word, huh? Pastor Hans Feeney is here. He's the pastor at Prince of Peace Lutheran Church in Prestwood, Missouri, outside St. Louis. And he's uh, behind the Twitter feed, which you have to follow. His main feed is Hans Feeney and also Lutheran sat- satire. Pastor, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Wonderful to talk to you. Merry Christmas. Does Christmas well. this Christmas feel any different for you than in years past in any way, whether for you personally, your congregation, just the state of our country, et cetera? Does it feel any different? Well, I think in a lot of ways it's nicer uh, because we had <laughs> two Christmases in a row that were where there was still a lot of kind of COVID fear throughout the country. And, you know, le- last year was less so obviously than the year before. Um, but then this year, especially, I think everyone is is well over it. And uh, so so it's been nice to see people just kind of returning to a kind of clearer way of thinking and focusing on uh, the arrival of Christ's birth. So that's been great to see. Uh, there's obviously, you know, the world is is the world and it's uh, filled with sorrows and challenges and despairs uh, that tend to oftentimes uh, press in on people around this time of year. I think um, in a lot of ways there's there's so much loneliness and isolation in the world, people separated from their families, people ideologically separated from their families, even if they're not separated by geography. And um, so the hope of the Christmas season, uh, the hope of the uh, that we find in the arrival of Christ's birth, is is really something to lean in and focus on. I think uh, certainly for for all Christians, I think that's uh, certainly something that happens amongst the folks in my congregation as well at this time of year, and focusing on uh, the unity that we have in Christ, uh, how Christ has come to be the healer of our divisions, how he's come to take those who've been set apart by uh, earthly fears and concerns and hatreds and animosities and uh, dissolve all of those things in the blood that he was born to shed and uh, to make us all at one with another, uh, one at one with let's, each other through his peace. Let's lean, in, lean into that as well. So, uh, so I've been a Christian for maybe eight years now, but we were Christers growing up. We'd go on Christmas mm-hmm. and Easter. And I remember almost nothing about those times. Uh, I just remember like, like farm animals and like shepherds. Mm-hmm. Like that's not like, like the visual I have is like nothing. So I'm kind of asking you to speak to 10 year ago me 
Like now I got it. I'm, I, like I know this, I'm with you. <laughs> I get, yeah. I get the, the story. Um, 10 year ago me would have no earthly clue what the heck you were talking about. Can you dumb it down for me? What is this story of the birth of Jesus Christ? Yeah, so I, I think in a lot of ways, uh, Christmas runs the risk, the kind of, the I wouldn't even call it the secular celebration of Christmas, but the kind of religiously scented celebration of Christmas <laughs> runs the risk of just kind of inoculating people against the faith through an overuse of kind of meaningless jargon and meaningless phrases. Uh, I saw, I don't know if other folks have seen this, I've seen these uh, posters or yard uh, signs around throughout the last few years. I started seeing them a lot during COVID. I don't know if this had a, if that had anything to do with it at the outbreak of that, but these signs that say hope wins. And I, I've seen a lot of them and I have absolutely no idea what that means because I, I don't know, <laughs> like, well, hope in what? Uh, that's like, it's like saying victory wins. Well, like, yeah, okay, but like victory over what? So hope in what? Uh, and what does hope win and what does hope triumph over? And there's something about a lot of religious celebrations of Christmas that I think sometimes churches have a bad habit of treating uh, Christmas and Easter especially, but certainly Christmas, almost as a kind of, it, it'd be like if you're a musician who had a, a pretty successful career, you know, say in the in the mid-90s, and then you've kept making new music that no one has bought you know, for 30 years or whatever it is. Uh, and so then you go to you go to do a show and you go, I want to play a bunch of songs from my new album. And, you know, and everyone goes, no, just play the hits. Like we don't, <laughs> we're not, we're not here for the stuff that we don't normally listen to. We want to hear the stuff that we know. And uh, churches have a tendency to, I think, fall into that trap of everyone kind of knows the imagery surrounding Christmas. So there's light and there's hope and there's peace but there's never any kind of diving into what those things are and what those what those terms mean. So I think um, really if we want to get down to the core of the Christmas story, it really is about the incarnation of Jesus and what, and what does that mean and what are the implications of it. So if I'm talking to someone who has no familiarity with, with the Christmas story whatsoever, they know that there are trees and lights and stuff, but if they said, well, what is Christmas? Christmas is all about God becoming your brother. Christmas is all about how mankind uh, is, uh, we've, we are slaves to sin. We have filled the world with sorrow and pain and hardship and despair. We have corrupted ourselves through our own idolatry, through our own lust, our own greed and anger, any number of sins. And that there's nothing we can do to lift ourselves up out of the darkness and find God. We can't make peace with the God who has authority over us because of our sins. God was unreachable for us. But out of love for us, God sent his only begotten son so that he sends his eternal son, the son who has always been with him, into the flesh. He takes on human flesh. He's born of a virgin. So that he's born free of sin. So it's, it's not just that it's kind of, the virgin birth is not about God just kind of doing a miracle for the sake of a miracle. The virgin birth happens so that Jesus is exempt from the sinful condition that all men born of Adam and Eve otherwise inherit. So that Jesus, being human, is able to fulfill the law for us, is able to live a perfect life in our place. And that Jesus, also being divine, is able to forgive our sins. 
so that so that Jesus in in taking on human flesh and becoming our brother carry picks up our sins carries them to the cross dies for our sins uh, and gives us the right to live with him in his kingdom forever so Christmas isn't just vaguely about the, the idea of being nice and kind to each other or vaguely about being hopeful or vaguely about coming out of darkness uh, it is very specifically about a very specific God who sends his son into this world to die, to be born for, to love, to cherish very specific sinners. Uh, that, that God was not content to remain at a distance from us and just kind of be at peace knowing that we're trying our best and that we are occasionally throwing a prayer in his general direction. But that God could not rest until he had come into this world to be one of us to dwell with us, to suffer for us, to die for us, that we could, that he could lift us up into glory and live with him forever. That's really what Christmas is all about. I want to encourage everyone to press rewind, listen to that <laughs> multiple times until that is firmly imprinted in your soul, a deep, firm understanding, and then study more around that. But that is, uh, was perfection, Pastor. Thank you. Uh, bring it back to hope wins, though. So I wonder what people are thinking when they put hope wins. I don't know if it's like a LGBTQ thing or... I, yeah, I, I, I don't genuinely know. don't know. It's one of those things where I guess I, you got to just like look for a website link in the bottom right-hand corner of the sign or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, because I, I don't know what it means, but it is... But I, you know, I live in the suburbs and it's that's a very kind of suburban notion is just a kind of <laughs> abstract concept that I get to sort of fill in mm -hmm. with my own meaning for anything and that's what's yes. what's going to give me hope and but the thing that I yes. find to be so incredibly comforting about the Christian faith is that in the Christian faith we don't have a god of just broad abstract concepts we don't have a god who says who is who is love just kind of undefined when the scriptures tell us that god is love it doesn't mean that god is an idea it means that god reveals himself to us in his actions uh, and that he reveals the disposition of his heart to us in his actions and nowhere is that seen more clearly than than god sending his son to be born of a virgin to be born in a lowly manger this is the king of kings and lord of lords the one to, to whom the angels sing songs of praise, the one through whom the very universe was created. And yet he arrives in lowliness to show that he's come to be the savior of, of the lowly. That's what God is love means. So if that's what hope wins means, then, then I agree that anyone who hopes in God and who hopes in this promise of Christ wins, I, I agree. Uh, but yeah, it's usually good in life to have a bit more specificity to our, uh, to our broad <laughs> assertions. I only got one minute. I got two questions. We'll split it into 30 seconds. When uh, they say hope wins, I love when you ask the question, well, hope in what? And then over what? It, it's victorious right. over what? So in the Christian worldview, uh, hope wins over what? Sin, death, and the devil. It's re really in the end. So that hope, uh, hope wins and love wins and Christ defeats. Christ conquers the devil, the one who dragged the world into, into condemnation. And that brought death with it. So there is no one that Christ cannot raise from the grave. There's no one. There's no sin that He has not forgiven, uh, and there's no um, there's no barrier to peace with God that He has not destroyed. He's given us the right to live with Him forever. That's how that's how Christ wins. Perfect. My last question for you. And this is very unfair because there's many things that I know you want to say, and you'll leave frustrated because you're like, oh, I wish I picked this one. One thing, one truth, you want everyone to walk away with right now. One truth of life, truth of the gospel. 
that Jesus Christ was born to make you his own forever, that he died to make you his own forever, that he rose to make you his own forever, that he ascended to the right hand of the Father to make you his own forever. That was technically like four things, but it, it still sort of counts as one. <laughs> They're all connected. What is your so. own, what does is, what is his own forever mean? Uh, it, it means that he lifts you up out of this world of sorrow and sin, that he will glorify you and, and make you sinless, spotless, uh, drive away all of your sorrows and and will will be in, will keep you in his presence in his kingdom for all time forever hans feeney f-i-e-n-e on twitter go find him there pastor of uh prince of peace lutheran church pastor an honor to talk to you merry christmas sir. merry christmas to you well done coming up next uh we'll talk with a pastor whose uh church burned to the ground two years ago there's some life lessons here Talk to him next. Spread the word. Hey, Slider Crusaders. Welcome back to our, our Christmas Spectacular uh, here on the 1st. And just, uh, again, I'd like to invite you to join us at uh, Politics by Faith, our podcast, where... We take the thing that causes anxiety in the news and we talk about it and then we lament it. We don't brush over it, we don't ignore it, we break it down, we lament it, and then we give the historical truth and the uh, historical perspective and the biblical truth to help that anxiety go away so we can go to sleep and we can wake up uh, refreshed, ready again to take on the world. That, that, that process uh, is important. There's, there's a purpose behind the steps we go through in that podcast. And I think it's nicely portrayed as well by our next story, Pastor Ramo Madsen. He is the pastor at Good Shepherd Church in Levittown, New York. Pastor, how are you, sir? Really well, thank you. And how about you, Mike? I'm very grateful you're here. Merry Christmas. Great. What happened to your church building two years ago? Christmas Day, uh, two years ago, we uh, had actually turned on our huge fans at. Christmas Eve services for air exchange, COVID, you know, they all talked about the air should be moved in and out. We had two huge fans, turned them on, kept them going for everyone's safety. And one of them shorted out and the building burned. Christmas morning. How bad? Uh, it, it was totally destroyed between fire, uh, smoke, and the water uh, damage. It was uh, a total loss. And it's a it was a beautiful, church building. Just an old school, classic, quintessential church building in every way. What a shame. Yeah, and the people are very proud of it. They uh, wanted to have a New England style church and um, yep. they uh, built it step by step, phase by phase. And the final piece was the steeple that you see on the video right now uh, that was put in place by a woman who sewed mittens and scarves and winter hats and sold them at fairs and raised the money for the steeple. That's oh, wow. Have. Mm, beautiful. Um, okay, Pastor, that happened Christmas morning. Uh, what was everyone thinking about it two years ago when that happened? Well, uh, yeah, everyone was very, very devastated, of course. Um, we have a very active congregation. We have uh, 15 uh, addictions groups that meet in our building every week and uh, countless women's fellowships and men's gatherings and youth groups and children's activities. So the loss of the facility uh, was, was, was pretty, pretty stressful for, for everyone. 
But we have been teaching. Yeah, there's, there's the but. I love the but. Now that two years have passed, uh, what biblical life lessons have you and your congregation learned throughout this rebuilding process? Well, it's, it's an interesting thing what we've always been building uh, in our concepts of life as Christians is the Romans 8.28, all things work together for good for those who love the Lord who have been called according to his purpose. Well, now we had to take that on in a very personal fashion as a corporate group. And but we've been teaching it, so how do we live up to that? How do we uh, hear that and live it without uh, kind of compromising our faith in God? So we could not in any way uh, give up because after all, we've been teaching that for, I've been there 17 years now, for all those years we've been teaching all things work together for good. It'll be fine. Yeah. So what have you been doing? What is your, what, how has your church to overcome it? So what we did was um, we chose to uh, put a tent, a uh, tent that can house 200 people. There we are in the tent and uh, worship in a tent <laughs> and uh, with uh, eaters on, in it to keep it warm in the winter. And we kind of felt very much like the Israelites uh, on their journey to Israel from Egyptian bondage. Uh, they were they were living in temporary shelters. They worshipped in temporary shelters and tents themselves. And so we're pretty much Old Testament people in how we were functioning and, yeah. and continue to be functioning. But, you know, the Israelites, they could not go back. There was no going back to Egypt. Uh, there was no going back to that. There's no going back into our building. And we only have to go forward. They could only go forward to the promised land. And that's that's our only option. And we decided to do it with hope and confidence, knowing that God does not intend to harm us, as Jeremiah 29 tells us, but he has a purpose and a future for us. How does that apply to, because the metaphor is perfect, I get church, church. How does that apply to a person listening right now? Exactly. We felt that our corporate situation was relative to the individuals who are going through life in our church. You're going through a terrible time in your life, you lose your job, uh, your marriage is on the rocks, you can't get along with your kids, or you can't get along with your parents, uh, you're stressed out emotionally, you're addicted to drugs or to alcohol, but we remember that we have to struggle through to the other side. Life is a battle, and it just is. Life is never just easy peasy, you know? It's just uh, always gonna have its challenges, and so too does the church have its challenges. So that kind of transposes uh, that concept into our whole corporate culture, uh, and that, of course, connects to individuals as well, how everyone is going through tough times in one way or another. And I, just, I feel called to ask you about this, Pastor, and you brought it up before I even could. Uh, we kicked off the show talking about some of the problems in our country and despair and just uh, like, how do how, let's do an audit of the country and how everyone thinks we're doing, and, and I think not well. And then we talked to the gentleman from Hillsdale College who talked about perhaps one of those reasons is we have too much prosperity which is a fascinating concept that too much prosperity can, uh, it's decadent and it can actually decay our souls. And I feel, I feel like that's what's happening right now. But I felt like asking you, Pastor, about uh, people who's, people where Christmas is not happy, joy, amazing, or I should say happy, because joy is different. Happy, amazing, wonderful, Christmas carols, cookies, all these great, great things all the time. One of our recent podcast episodes, it was dedicated to people where Christmas is very difficult, whether you've lost a loved one or, as you mentioned, people with addiction, et cetera, et cetera. What is your encouragement, your hope, your message of true joy to those people 
who are having a very difficult time during Christmas. Yes, that truly what is going on now is temporary. It's not a permanent season. Christmas is uh, uh, the season of remembering that we have our people of hope. God intervenes in our life in a dramatic way. He sends his son to be amongst us, to teach us directly. This is a loving God. And this God has a personal interest in you and your situation. He's not a distant God. He's not one that you have to do good deeds for to kind of earn his love and trust. He is there for you and he says, lo, I'm with you and with me all things are possible. From Matthew 19, all things are possible. And so although we're in the bad season of life sometimes, and just like the seasons change, winter, summer, spring and fall, they will change. And so too will our life circumstances change. Great truths we all need to hear. How can people help you rebuild your church, Pastor? Well, we first of all, we need people to pray and to be encouraging to us and to uh, tell us that, you know, all things are possible, to continue lifting our spirits up. And people are certainly doing that. And of course, financially, uh, the insurance doesn't cover everything uh, that we're going to encounter. Uh, we're trying to rebuild and rebuild so that we can have a facility where the handicap can actually uh, be in there and utilize it well, uh, where people can gather for the therapy programs and support programs that we can offer. And uh, we really do need people's support. So if people can donate to us, we would certainly really appreciate the financial support and not least the prayer support. Absolutely. Uh, Pastor Ramo Madsen. Listen, a church being burnt down couldn't have happened to a better person. Well, <laughs> thank you for that. I feel like my... Um... <laughs> <laughs> I think that was intended as a compliment. That's how life works these days, huh? Uh, Pastor, wonderful to talk to you, sir. Good Shepherd Church in Levittown, New York. Blessings to you and all your viewers, and uh, Merry Christmas to you. And thank you for being here on today's episode. I hope this Christmas is especially memorable for you. We did a podcast recently, Politics by Faith is the name of the podcast, about setting expectations for Christmas weekend. It applies to any big upcoming event you have though, whether it's a wedding or whatever it is, and just the need for releasing the pressure that kills joy. All pressure kills joy. So we don't want that here. And then in an episode before that, and I'm so glad the pastor mentioned this, we talked about you, if Christmas is not a happy time for you, for lots of different reasons, very legitimate reasons, lost your job, your health is failing you, a loved one passed away, whatever it is. Whatever uh, the reason, this longing, this yearning, the pain that possibly comes this time of year that no one ever talks about. We talked about that in uh, a recent podcast. But then we talked about how happiness is different than joy. Happiness is a feeling and it can be fleeting. Joy is deeper. Joy is everlasting. Joy and gratitude. Why do we lose that? We know that's true. We know it's true, but then why don't we live it? Why don't we keep the joy? Why don't we keep the gratitude? The great G.K. Chesterton, he was a writer 150 years ago. He said, uh, when we were children, we were grateful to those who filled our stockings with toys at Christmas time. Why are we not grateful to God for filling our stockings with legs every day? <laughs> Read a great sermon the other day from John MacArthur on the true spirit of Christmas. Because you hear those words a lot, just like Pastor Feeney was talking about how hope wins. You hear that thing? It's like meaningless words. You hear this, like the spirit of Christmas, but like no one ever really defines what that is. Like what is the spirit of Christmas? 
The spirit of Christmas is worship. And not just once, but continually. Mary said, my soul exalts. Present tense. Not one time. Didn't exalt once. It exalts actively, continually. Paul said, in everything, give thanks. Even your church burning to the ground or whatever that means in your life personally. The spirit of Christmas, whenever you see that in the mall or whatever, the spirit of Christmas is worship. Elizabeth, Zacharias, the angels, Mary, Simeon, Anna, the shepherds, the wise men, all of them, when they first heard about Jesus, they worshiped. That's why my favorite song is O Holy Night. The best version of it is Carrie Underwood. That's my all-time favorite song. Uh, and, and when she hits fall on your knees, that's just like, I lose it every time. It's as good as it gets. Worship. That was their one response. And today we're annoyed that Christmas is on Sunday and it interrupts our plans. Do I go to church? I don't know. That ruins the morning, ruins the presence. Or even if you go on Saturday, uh, I still remember growing up at church. We only went twice a year. But it was annoying because it was a drive and you had to get dressed. It was, uh, That's not worship. <laughs> I'll leave you with uh, a little Martin Luther. One of Martin Luther's great poems. He was a wonderful poet. He said, all praise to you, eternal Lord, clothed in a garb of flesh and blood, choosing a manger for your throne, while worlds on worlds are yours alone. Once did the skies before you bow, a virgin's arms contain you now. How good is that? Once the skies used to bow, now a virgin's arms contain you now. Angels who did in you rejoice, now listen to your infant voice. A little child, you are our guest, that weary ones in you may rest. Forlorn and lowly is your birth, that we might rise to heaven from earth. You comest in the darksome night to make us children of the light to make us in the realms divine, like your own angels round you shine. All this for us your love hath done, by this to you our love is one. For this we tune our cheerful lays, and shout our thanks in ceaseless praise. That is worship. I hope you have a Christmas full of it. Merry Christmas. Each morning, the President of the United States receives a highly classified briefing on the most important issues facing the country. It's called the President's Daily Brief, or PDB. It's delivered by America's spies and analysts. Well, now you can hear your very own PDB in the form of a podcast hosted by me, Brian Dean Wright, a former CIA operations officer. Each morning at 6 a.m. Eastern, I'll bring you 15 to 20 minutes of the most important issues facing the country giving you the critical intelligence and analysis you need to start your morning.